Good morning. It's good to be back. Nancy and I were gone for a couple of weeks. Took a little vacation time. It was nice. Went to uh, Portland to see my daughter and spent a few days at the beach. We'll talk about that in a few moments. That was, that was fun. And then we came back home. There's nothing like being home, right? To the fresh, wonderful, crisp air. <laughs> Nancy and I are making a list, you know. Snow for months. Smoke and haze for days. All the things they did not tell us. But uh, all kidding aside, we're glad you're here. It's good to be home worshiping with you guys. Worship team, thank you so much for lifting us up in prayer and, and, and song. And just nice to be able to sing some of those old hymns, too. Those were great, fantastic stuff. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, one of the things we did is we went to Seaside, Oregon. We were there for a few days. And while we were there, we uh, checked out some place. We... Nancy loves the beach. You know, I love the beach. We, we just want to be at the beach as much as possible. And uh, the beach is not that far from here, which is pretty good, right? So we got to spend some time at the beach. And we, we like to try different places, especially for breakfasts. And we went to this place. Uh, let's go to the next slide. We went to this place called Patty's Wicker's Cafe. Anybody been to Patty's Wicker Cafe? Okay, we have, we have one. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, this place, we just found it by mistake. Uh, I think Nancy had been there once before, maybe even with you, I don't know. But she was there, and, and, and she said, you know, we've got to find this place. And it's kind of hidden away. You wouldn't know about it. Fantastic food. We're sitting there eating this food, and we're like, wow, this is pretty good. It was good, well-priced and everything. And all of a sudden, we hear these bells, like ring, like jingle bells, you know, ring, ring. And, and we realized that it was kind of matched to somebody walking. So somebody that was walking had these bells on. So we asked our, our waitress, we said, you know, what's with the bells? She goes, oh, that's Patty. Patty, like, like Patty's Wicker's Cafe, Patty? Yes, that's Patty. That's Patty right there. She looks a little bigger than I remembered. I think it's because it's stretched. But... Never put a picture of me up there, please, by the way. Just really important to point that out now that I see what it looks like. <laughs> so that's like, anyway, sorry, ADD, I got distracted there. So Patty uh, has, is the owner, and she has these bells on her. And the story goes that when she was very little, her mom put these bells on her so that she would know where she was at all times. Apparently, Patty was very much like somebody who liked to go places, you know, and, and, and so she put these bells on her, and, and Patty tells us, as we interviewed her a little bit, I had to do this, uh, I, she said to us that she, she got used to the sound of the bells, and so she's worn them ever since she was five years old. Think about that, right? Let's zoom in on those wonderful legs there. Uh, you can tell she loves butterflies. Those are the bells. And everywhere she walks, you hear those bells. You hear those bells. You hear those bells. And it reminded me of something. 
It reminded me of something. It reminded me of something that I read in the Bible. Once a year, the high priest of Israel would leave his home. And I believe is he would, he would leave with a heavy heart. Because he was going to be doing something that day that was pretty intense. I think if I was that high priest, I may even look to my family and say, look, you know, I, you, you know, you know, I don't know if I'm coming back. You know what I'm going to do. I'm not sure, but I, but I think I did everything I'm supposed to do. Son, is my ephod on straight? The ephod was this, this, this piece that they would wear over the robe. And at the bottom of the robe would be these bells that the high priest would wear. Now, he was not allowed to sleep the night before. So he went and stayed at the temple. And some of the other priests would stay at the temple with him to keep him up so that he would not fall asleep, so that he would not be defiled by any dreams, that he would be able to just be there. He was not allowed to sleep. And then when the moment of truth finally came, after the, these, these priests would be up with him all night, reading the law to him and, and helping him un- hear the, the Torah over and over again. When that time finally came, they put blood on his earlobe, blood on the thumbs, blood on the toes, blood from the lamb that he had sacrificed outside the place, and then they checked the bells. Some scholars believe that they actually put a rope around him because he was the only one that was allowed to go from the holy place into the most holy place or the holy of holies. No one else was, only once a year by him. So the moment comes and he goes in reverently walking into that holy of holies. I can't imagine what it must have been like because in that holy of holies, we are told by the scriptures that the Shekinah glory was there, the glory of God the Father. I, I, I can only imagine that as he, as he walked in through these thick, thick curtains that he was saying, holy, holy, holy. And then he would be in there to apply the blood of the lamb to the altar once a year to make atonement for the people of Israel. My understanding is, for as I read the scriptures, that Jesus today is in the holy of holies of heaven. And he's applying of his blood, making atoning atonement for us. I am glad, I don't know about you pastors, that we don't have to do that. Imagine if once a year we'd have to do this, right? I am thankful that today we don't have to do that. Yet I believe that this altar is just as holy. This church is just as holy. This church, this place, this sanctuary is just as important and that we need to reverently accept the fact that Jesus is here, present with us. 
We may not see the Shekinah glory, although if you went outside today, you might see some smoke. That's not the Shekinah glory, right? But, but, but I got to tell you that God's presence in this house is just as valid, just as important. And that moment, I got to tell you, and I know it's the same with these guys because I meet with them on a regular basis. When we are about ready to preach, there's this part of us that just wants to just focus and say, look, I'm about ready to get up on that pulpit to, to worship God. I'm about ready to get on that pulpit to be God's spokesman. God, please do not let me speak. You speak through me. I got to tell you, it is an extremely sobering, sobering experience. It doesn't matter how many times I've done it, right, guys? It doesn't matter how many times you do it. You just get up here and you're like, oh, no. And I, I, I always have to close my eyes and practice the presence of God right there by those seats right there. Because I, I, there was something going on here that we can so easily take for granted. I'm glad the priest did not. Former correctional officer, Allen, he remembers a guy by the name of Radford. And this particular day, Radford looked right into his eyes and he stuck his hand through the jail bars and he shook Allen's hands and apologized for any problems that he might have caused during his time at the prison. Alan sat back and witnessed as he remembers Eddie Bradford, this criminal, embrace his son for the last time with tears running down his face we straightened this shirt. Is my shirt on okay? Son? And as he began his final walk to the death chamber, just before they closed the door of the corridor, the warden would begin to shout, Dead man walking! Dead man walking! Dead man, dead man walking, dead man walking over and over again. He would shout these words. It was a call to be still. It was a tradition that started time ago that let everybody know that this man was spending the last few moments on earth and this was a call to be reverent, to be still, that even though he was a criminal, he was no, he was convicted, he was still a man and this man is alive for the very last few minutes of his life. The inevitable is pending, dead man walking, dead man walking. Now, we'll sit here in this church right now depending on your experience and who you are. And we listened about the high priest, and we listened about the criminal, and we would be tempted to call one holy and the other one a sinner. But the truth is, the reason why the high priest said goodbye to his family and said, I'm not sure if I'm coming back, was because the high priest recognized that he too was a sinner. And before God, we are all sinners. There are some of you in church right there, right now, that, that just have this, 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 this idea 
in your mind. You've been taught this. You know, that the pastor has somehow some better connection with God than you do. That's not true at all. We are all sinners. We are all called by God to die to self. Do you understand this? I'm going to talk to you about what it means to die to self. What it means to get to that point where we fall down and we say, I am empty, I am nobody, I am just holy, holy, holy. You are a God. Whatever temptation you may have to think that we are different in those aspects, we're only different in role and duty. But we are all sinners. High priest and criminal. It was almost as if back in those days when the high priest was starting to walk towards the Holy of Holies, they would start saying, dead man walking, right? In Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is one of those verses that we don't like to read too much. Jesus continues by saying, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And this word deny is such an interesting word. This word deny really kind of comes across from the, from the idea of, of, of just like forfeiting everything for, the, for God's glory. Not denying who you are, not denying your importance, your significance within the grand scheme of things, not denying those things, but denying who your personal agenda is, denying your personal stuff that you want to give up, that you want to hold on to so that you would not, that would somehow interfere with God's presence and God's glory. That took a while for me to say. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. If I were to ask you, you know, picture the crucifixion, the whole scene. Who would you want to be at that crucifixion? Would you pick, out, would you pick, pick Peter? No, he wasn't there, actually. He ran away. Would you, would you pick John, maybe, because he was a nice guy. He was there and gets to be the son of Mary uh, because Jesus... Uh, bequeaths that, or who, who would you be? How many of you would pick Simon the, the uh, Serene? How many of you picked, you know who that is? That's the guy that when Jesus couldn't take it anymore and carry the cross, the Roman soldiers grabbed one guy, Simon, and they said, okay, you carry the cross. Now you have to understand what this means. Carrying the cross meant you were going to your death. Now, Simon was not going to his death. And carrying the cross was a very, very uh, shameful thing. It was presented that way. And when Simon is sitting there going, he's like, I I'm not sure I want to do this. You know? and, and what if my family sees me carry the cross? What are they going to think about me if I'm carrying the cross? They're going to think I did something wrong. 
You ever been ashamed of carrying the cross? Have you ever thought, well, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do? And yet Simon does it. I can't wait to meet Simon. He must have been an amazing man. He must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life. How many of you want to save your life? The Bible says if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life will find it. Now, please do not misunderstand this. This is not saying that God is expecting each and every one of us to have some kind of suicide wish. <laughs> Don't get this from that, please. But what he is saying is that we've got to come to a point where we are saying, you know what? No more Sergio, just Jesus. I love the way John the Baptist put it. He must increase, and I must what? Decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. Some of you are sitting here going, now, well, wait a minute, what does it mean for us? What are, you, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm a Christian. I signed up for the benefits. I didn't sign up for this. I remember some years ago I was talking to a, a young man. He was a friend of mine. He, he, was, uh, he, had, he had enlisted to be in the Army. Uh, but he was called to go to Iraq. And he goes, Pastor, I, I don't know how I feel. I, I enlisted for the benefits. I didn't enlist to go to war. I said, you do know when you become a soldier, what you're saying is I am ready for whatever the country needs me to do. Right? The benefits are just the perks. Do you know, maybe we ought to do a little better job on this, that, that when you enlist to be a part of God's family, yes, the benefits are great, but the truth is, the most important thing is, you're joining an army for God's glory. And sometimes there are casualties. I will not lie to you. The war is real. We've talked about this quite a few times, but more than anything else is for us to recognize that when I join, for me to be able to fight in this army, I can't do it on my own. Only Jesus can fight through me. I need Michael the archangel at the helm, ready to go, my captain, to say, come on, let's go, let's make it go, let's make it work. We are so caught up in saving our lives. We are so caught up in the benefits that the charge to die to self is so foreign to us. You've heard me share this before, but this very wise lady said these words, it is not the fear of punishment nor the hope of everlasting reward that leads a disciple of Christ to follow him. No. But they behold his matchless love from the manger in Bethlehem all the way to Calvary's cross. And the sight of him softened and subdues the heart, and they hear his voice, and they follow him. What is this person saying? What she is saying is that true believers don't follow Jesus to avoid hell. They don't follow Jesus to get to heaven. I mean, those things will happen organically. That's great, but that's not the reason why we follow Jesus. It's not for the benefits. We follow Jesus because he's irresistible. He's an irresistible commander. And sometimes we just need to melt 
and get out of the way and let Jesus do his thing in us. So yes, this morning you came to church hoping to hear about the benefits maybe. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to challenge you, to encourage you, to let you know that the best life you can have is the life that says I'm willing to die to self, Jesus, to live for you. How are we doing out there? <laughs> Got real quiet all of a sudden. I believe uh, the Apostle Paul was an expert on this subject. Formerly known as Saul, the tent maker from Tarsus, we know that he was a self-satisfied Pharisee doing his best to wipe the infant church off the face of the earth. He thought he was living the right life, and it didn't, it, nothing happened for him good until he learned to die to self, learned to die that life. In fact, he died his life, he died that day on the road to Damascus, so much so that within a few days they had a whole new name. He was no longer called Saul, he was called Paul. He was no longer destroying God's church, now he was building God's church. In the book of Romans, he says these words. And so this is for each and every one of us who have been baptized. And if you have not, man, I, I just, I want to encourage you to take this step. Because this step signifies that you're letting the universe know that you're dying to self. Listen to the way Paul puts it in the book of Romans. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? His death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism. That's why when we baptize somebody, we take them all the way under. Some people I've had to keep there for a few seconds. And through baptism into death, in order that as, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live to a new life. So when we have a baptism, what we're saying is, hey, look, Jesus, I want to let the universe know that Sergio died and there's a new guy in there. I want the universe to know that I live for you now. I don't live for Sergio. I got to tell you something. This message is becoming more and more difficult to preach in this day and age. Because we are living in a generation that wants to feel... I don't know what the word is. I can't think of it right now. But you know what I'm talking about, right? They, they feel like, no, please don't t tell me about this stuff, man. I want to live for me. L think about it. Think about this. Think about the, just the names of, 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 uh, of um, news, uh, uh, magazines. Remember, how many of you remember, like, it's still around, Life Magazine, right? Life Magazine. That was so cool. And then came Times, right? And then uh, a little while later, there was a magazine called Us. Remember that? And then people, remember that? And now there's one called me. Do you know that? What's going on here? It's reflecting a generation that is consumed with self. A generation that feels that to die to self is a terrible message. 
And so if you feel that way, I apologize to you today. I know it's going to be hard for you to understand, but what I'm actually saying to you is the best thing that you could ever do in your life. The greatest fulfillment that you could ever feel is from dying to self, believe it or not. Paul will tell you the same thing. Paul would say to you, you know, if you die to your personal agendas and you follow God's will, you're going to find the greatest joy. And whenever you talk to people, we've had people as pastors come to us and say, you know, I want to know what God's will is. I'm, I'm always like, okay, hold on, stop just for a second. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like, are you willing to do whatever his will is? Or are you saying, I want to know what God's will so that I can see if it matches up to what I want to do, and then we could do it? See, when you ask, how many of you have ever asked for God's will in your life? Yeah. So are you asking, God, I want to do whatever it is, whatever it means? Or are you saying, look, I want to know what it is, but I want to make sure that it matches to what I want to do? See, that's a, uh, that, that, that is just a, a, um, a symbol of the fact that, that you haven't died to self yet. You haven't trusted God's will for your life yet. And you think because of the way maybe you've been raised or the things that you've heard in the past, that God's will means getting a straitjacket on and being sent to Calcutta to feed people that have leprosy. Well, that may mean for that for some people, but I doubt that that's what it means for most of you. For most of you, and can I tell you something? When you read about Mother Teresa, if she didn't do that, she would have been miserable. For most of you, the hint of God's will for your life is there planted within the strengths that he's given you, the joys that he's given you, the passions that you have. They're there on purpose. And some of you have not done what God has impassioned you to do because you're afraid, because you have self-limitations, because you think the stake is still in the ground. And you can't move out of the way. But I want to tell you right now, you, just listen to God's voice. Say to him, God, whatever it is I'm willing to do, and, and just stand in awe and be surprised at what God has for you. He wants to melt you. He wants to, to totally melt you away and have you live for his glory. And you will find your greatest joys in that moment. Die to our ego. To get to the point in our lives where we are unswayed by criticism or praise. I was talking to somebody just this week. And, I, and, and so don't, don't misunderstand this. I, I, I love you all, so don't, please don't, don't get this the wrong way. But to be honest with you, I can count on my hands how many people's criticism or affirmation really means something to me. Because I am convinced that those people really, truly love me. Does that make sense? Right. Now, many of you are starting to convince me. That's great. We'll see how this winter goes. No, I'm kidding. But the truth is, we got to get to the point where we're not so, I don't know what's the word, so, so, so swayed 
like in the ocean by a criticism and affirmation and criticism. You know, I know people that just kind of live their lives based on what other people think of them. How is that possible? How is that ever going to be fulfilling? I hope you're thinking really deeply right now as opposed to uh, somehow affected by the smoke or something. I don't know. Some of that dying to ego, by the way, some of you, and I'm going to do this really short. For some of you, you need to let go of resentment. Because resentment really comes down to ego. And you're just poisoning yourself because of what somebody else has done to you. You know what? Just forgive them. You don't have to ever trust them. That's okay. You don't ever have to be with them again. Just forgive them and let it go. Die to self. I know that some of the stuff that I'm sharing with you right now is, is, is pretty, pretty strong. I'm sorry. I was on vacation. That's what happens. <laughs> and then finally, die to the pursuit of stuff. I meet people all the time, and I, I got to deal with this on my own life all the time. This pursuit of stuff, man. We just want stuff all the time. More stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And it's just ridiculous. It's getting to the point, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but the media is just bombarding you with these messages so that you could have more stuff. and be, You won't be happy unless you have more stuff. Have you noticed that, right? Remember that picture that I showed a few weeks ago, you know? Play now, pay later. Remember that? Pay now, play later. What is going on here? Just because they don't care about you. They just care about their money, which is causing you to get more and more into depth and more and more stuff. You just want more and more stuff. I got to tell you something. If you read about wealthy people, they will tell you that's not where happiness is. I read this about Howard Hughes. I wanted to share it with you. Howard Hughes was an American investor, aviator, aerospace engineer, filmmaker, and philanthropist. He was one of the wealthiest people in the world. And all he ever really wanted in life was more. He just needed more. He wanted more money, so he parlayed inherited wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more sensual pleasure, so he paid handsome sums to indulge his every sexual urge. He wanted more thrills, so he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. More, more, more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Unfortunately, history shows us otherwise. The man concluded his life emaciated and colorless with a sunken chest, fingernails and grotesque, inch-long corkscrews just riding, rotting away. And with that rotting black teeth, tumors, and innumerable needle marks from his drug addiction. Howard Hughes died a billionaire junkie, insane by all reasonable standards, and very, very unhappy. Do you think, do you think stuff is going to make it happen?
I read this by great philosopher Seneca. He writes these words, it is not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more that is poor. It is not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more that is poor. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus puts it in these words, verses 19 through 21. He says, don't hoard treasures down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. And some of you have read this verse so many times from an older translation. You know how that goes, right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But what I love about this verse is when I think about Jesus, Jesus letting go of his grip of eternity to be down here with us because for Jesus, we were his treasure. For where your treasure is, that's where his heart was. I got to go. I got to make sure that they're safe, that, they're, that, that they understand, that they get it. I got to go and, and show them what the Father really is like. Paul will tell you that there must be something more than sheer willpower, than simply trying hard to make people grow and change. Paul will tell you that, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. Let me ask you something. This is a great test if you ever want to go home and take this test. Ask yourself, what compels me? The Japanese have a word, and the word is ikigai. And ikigai basically is the word that means that which gets you up in the morning. We don't have a word like that in English. Ikigai. Say it with me. Come on. Ikigai. All right. Six more people now, please. Ikigai. I love that word. It sounds weird because it's Japanese. But what I love what it means, it's that which gets you, what gets you up in the morning. What compels you? Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. How many of you would say you are a new creation? So maybe you're growing. Some of you can sit there going, well, I'm not fully. No, no. The moment, the moment you became a babe in Christ, you were a new creation. Sure, there's growing to do, but you're still a new creation. So here's what I would suggest to you. Three things. Number one, compare the price and consider the value. Paul would say, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything a loss. The second thing is let go of the past and embrace the present. Paul would say, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I have not attained it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. How many of you are doing that today? 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then in Philippians chapter 2, he would say to you, develop the attitude of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, it says you should think in the same way as Christ Jesus did. In, this, in his very nature, he was God, the Bible says. But he did not think that being equal with God was something he should hold on to. Instead, he made himself nothing. Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human form. He appeared as a man. He came down to the lowest level. He obeyed God completely. And even though it led to his death, in fact, he died on the cross. Why? He was willing to be demoted. He was willing to go lower and lower and lower so that you and I can go higher and higher and higher. That should be the attitude. Our attitude should be that of John the Baptist. He must increase and I must what? Decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. I'm going to ask you to try this one day. Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, wake up and start the day by saying, dead man walking, dead man walking, Dead man walking. Let people look at you weird. During the reign of Oliver Cromwell, there was a shortage of uh, currency in the British Empire. So he sent people to go out and said, look, I need you to go find it, whatever you can. They took a whole month. They went and found this, whatever they could. And they came back with nothing. And they said to Oliver Cromwell, they said, we have found nothing. Zero. Except for, there's only, there was silver in the statues of the cathedrals. The saints in the cathedrals have, have silver all over them. And Oliver Cromwell was famed to, to be Heard saying, okay then, melt down the saints and put them into circulation. Melt down the saints and put them into circulation. That's what Jesus wants in our lives. He wants to melt us and put us into circulation. How many of you are willing to do that? I'm, how many are willing to allow God to melt your heart? There's only two things that God can do. Let me just tell you this right now. You can either melt your heart or his son could harden you. Depends whether your, your heart is like clay or it's like wax. How many of you are willing to, to be like, like wax and say, God, melt me. Let me die to self. Let me commit to whatever it is that you have for me because I recognize that what you have for me is the greatest thing that could ever be for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love towards us. Thank you for uh, guiding us, helping us to understand 
There are so many things that you say in the Bible that allude to this concept, Father. It is so hard, Lord. I have to tell you, it's so hard to die to self. And I know how hard it is to hear these words. But I pray, Father, that you would inspire each and every one of us to put self aside, practice maybe baby steps, little things, Lord. But that through those steps, through those little things, we would learn to die to self more and more so until we don't even realize that we have done it. And our life that we live is your life. Our agenda is your agenda. Our stuff is your stuff. Our goals are your goals. Help us, O Lord, to this endeavor we ask in Jesus' name.